0: We want to turn our Bibles tonight to First Samuel chapter fifteen. First Samuel chapter fifteen. Let's read it, verse one. Samuel also said unto Saul. The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, one of the great blessings that we can name tonight and and number is the blessing of being able to be in this place and to meet with you and to meet with your people. What a great blessing that is. We pray that it would be a blessing that we would not take for granted, that we would count these times very precious in our lives as they are to you. We pray that you would help us to see the things that you have for us from your word tonight, that we might be encouraged and strengthened and directed by you as to how we should live in this world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday, in both the morning and evening service, we looked at the third verse of this 15th chapter of 1 Samuel. And we wanted to come back tonight because I felt like there was a couple of other things that we needed to mention while we are here. In the morning service last week, we looked at this verse as it applies to those who are lost, and we saw that this third verse is, in reality, a testimony to the mercy of God. What the Lord remembers concerning Amalek in verse 2 how he laid wait for Israel in the way when he came up from Egypt occurred over 400 years earlier. And we considered the question, why did the Lord wait for over 400 years to give the command to go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have? Well, it's for the same reason that he waited for 1,421 years before he brought the judgment of the flood upon the world. For the same reason that he waited for over 460 years for the iniquity of the Amorites to become full. It's for the same reason that he has spared you for all the years of your life. And the reason is that the Lord is full of compassion and gracious. He's long-suffering and plenteous in mercy. He's slow to anger. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The problem is not God. The problem is man. The problem is that man loves his sin and his rebellion. Men love darkness rather than light. Men despise the riches of God's goodness and forbearance and long suffering not knowing that the goodness of God is leading them to repentance lost men and it's a great danger lost men account that the long suffering of God is salvation that they're safe The judgment is not going to come because the sentence of God's judgment is not carried out on them speedily. And in the deception of their heart, they take the mercy and they take the long-suffering of God and they see it as license. They see it as approval by God of their sin. And so their heart becomes fully set in them to do evil. And when the judgment of God does come upon them, they blame God. They blame God as being cruel and unfair and unjust. That's the deception and the wickedness of our heart. If you're lost this evening, while the goodness of God is leading you to repentance, while you are experiencing the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering while it is called today, because we aren't promised tomorrow, we know not what a day may bring forth. While it is called today, while you are hearing his voice, harden not your heart, but call upon the Lord while he may be found. That's the message of this third verse to the lost. Last Sunday night, we looked at this verse as it applies to those who are saved. And the application to those who are saved revolves around this man Amalek. We saw that Amalek is a picture of the flesh, this own nature in the lives of those who are saved. We see that at his first mention in Genesis chapter 36 where we saw that Amalek is the grandson of Esau, the second generation of Esau's family. And we talked about how two in the Bible is the number of contrast, how it is the number of difference. And we talked about the difference between Esau and Amalek. Esau is a picture of the old nature in those who are lost. Amalek is a picture of the old nature in the people of God. We mentioned that after the record of his birth in Genesis chapter 36, and after we're told there that he was one of the dukes of Esau, the next time we see Amalek, and the first time that we see him in action, is in Exodus chapter 17, when he is attacking the people of God. And in the account of that attack in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 17, the Lord told Moses to remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when ye were come forth out of Egypt. Notice those words, when ye were come forth out of Egypt. Look at verse 2 here. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember... What Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way, when he came up from Egypt. Those words in Deuteronomy, "Come uh, when ye were come forth out of Egypt," and those words here in verse two, when Israel came up from Egypt, I believe are a confirmation. Of who it is that Amalek pictures uh, here in the Bible he is he's attacking those who have come forth out of Egypt, the children of Israel, and the way that the children of Israel came out of Egypt, the way they came out of th- their their slavery and bondage is by the power of the blood of the lamb and this is who amalek this is who our old nature attacks today. This is who our old nature lays wait for. Those who are saved. Those who have come out of the bondage and slavery of sin by the power of the blood of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who Amalek, this is who this old nature that lives in us attacks. And he is relentless. He's relentless. And he is an enemy that we, I think, take for granted. Deuteronomy, we we talk about the flesh. We talk about the old nature. We talk about the old man. Do we really stop and think about who he is and what he is and how he works in Deuteronomy 25 and verse 18, God says that Amalek feared not God. Amalek feared not God. The Lord tells us that because he wants us to know that our own nature fears not God. That's something that we ought to go off and think on. We have a nature living in us that does not fear God. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, Paul tells us that the carnal mind, this old nature, is enmity, hatred against God. So this old nature doesn't fear God. This old nature hates God. This old nature is at war with God. And then Paul. Says that this old nature is lawless. In that eighth or seventh verse of Romans chapter eight, he says, It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. This old nature is incorrigible. God doesn't even try to save it or reform it or cure it. He gives us a new nature because ours is incurable and irredeemable and unreformable. The only thing that can be done is to put it to death, which is what the Lord tells us to do here in verse 3. Now go and smite Amalek. We could put the words old nature. Now go and smite the old nature. And utterly destroy it. Spare it not. Spare it not. You know, verse 3, like we were talking about this morning in 1 Kings chapter 14, is heavy tidings. It's heavy tidings. We don't want to believe what God says about our own nature. We don't want to believe what he says about us. We don't want to believe the heavy tidings that the Lord Jesus sent to us in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, Wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, that's unbridled lust, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. They come from within and defile the man. We don't want to believe the heavy tidings that are sent to us in Galatians 5 beginning in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, repeating what we just mentioned from Mark chapter 7. These things are very uppermost in our own nature. Lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. Now we hear that we say, I, I'm not a witch. Well, I would never do that. But we learn here in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 23 that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. To rebel against the word of God is to be a practicing witch. And the characteristics of our own nature continue there. Hatred. Who do we hate? Variance, strife, and contention. Who are we continually striving and contending with among our fellow believers? Emulations, contentious rivalries, jealousies, wrath, strife, seditions heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Revelings are um, riotous, disorderly, and immoral behavior. This is what we are by nature. We don't like the heavy tidings of Romans 7 and verse 18 that gives the conclusion, we would say, of all of these passages where Paul said this, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. We don't like these heavy tidings that are sent to us by the message from heaven. And so we do what Paul did, uh, rather Saul, did here. What Brother Dwight talked about the other Wednesday night, we enter this conversion war. This conversion war with God to convert his word into something that is more acceptable to us. Look at verse 4 here. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Tuleim, 200,000 footmen, and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. In verse 5, we read that Saul came to a city of Amalek. Was there only one? The article A would suggest that there were others. This wasn't the city of Amalek. It was a city of Amalek. So why with an army of 210,000 men would you only come to a city of Amalek? Why not all of them? And then we see in verse 5 that Saul laid weight in the valley. He laid weight in the valley. There is no wait in the Lord's instructions, in his command in verse 3. In fact, there is an immediacy. There is an urgency in the Lord's command. Now go. Now. That's immediate. Go. That's, That's urgency. There's no waiting there. Now go and smite Amalek. I want you to think of, these, uh, of what we're reading here and how Saul is converting the command of the Lord into what he thinks it ought to be. Look at verse 6. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. That sounds really good, doesn't it? Sounds kind, sounds compassionate. The only problem is there is no such command in verse 3. This is some more of Saul's conversion of the command of God to what he thought it ought to be. Now, The Kenites are interesting. They were the children of Moses' father-in-law. That's who the Kenites are. In Judges 1 and verse 16, we read that the children of the Kenite, that would be the children of Moses' father-in-law, went up out of the city of palm trees. The city of palm trees is Jericho. With the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lieth in the south of Arid. And they went and dwelt among the people. Now I take that to mean that the Kenites were living among the people of God, and specifically among the people of Judah. So why have they left Judah? Why? have they left the people of God? Why are they now living among the Amalekites, the enemies of God? Now, I don't want to read more into this than is here. But God has given them space to repent. Maybe as much as 300 years. We don't know how long they've been among the Amalekites. But the Lord has given them opportunity to come out from the Amalekites. And obviously they haven't. So there is no command in verse 3. To spare the Kenites. The Lord doesn't say now go into my Amalek. And Saul. The Kenites are down there. What I want you to do. Is send warning to them. So they can leave. God's a better general than that. If you live among the enemies of God, if you refuse to come out from among them and be separate, then you may experience the judgment of the enemies of God. Young people, be very careful in, in your associations with lost, other lost young people. Be very careful. You can put yourself in a place where you don't need to be. I almost did that. One time when I was makes me sad to say it when I was 15 years old. That's been a long time ago. (laughs) But I was with a group of young people, a group of Boys that didn't know the Lord, they loved to drive fast. They just loved to drive fast, and I got in the car with them. And this one particular boy had his mother's Chevelle. They don't make Chevelles anymore. You older guys know what a what a Chevelle is. And it had a a, a big engine in it, and we were on a back road. And he said, you know, let's see what this thing will do. We all said, yay, yay. Let's see what this thing will do. Until we got to a curve and we could feel that car doing this right here. It was very, very close to flipping off the road. That's what I'm talking about here. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Because if that had happened, I would have experienced the judgment of God just like the lost boys in that car would have experienced. So again, Saul converts the command of God into what he thinks it ought to be. And he spares the Kenites. And in sparing them, I believe he spares some number of the Amalekites. Because no doubt, the Amalekites see the the Kenites packing up and leaving. They've been living among them. But where are y'all going? Why are you leaving? Would the Kenites not have said, Saul's come to destroy you. And he's told us that we need to get out. Allowing the Kenites to depart took time took time. That allowed uh, some number of the Amalekites to escape, no doubt. And so after the delay of verses 5 and 6, we finally come to verse 7. And Saul smote, the Lord said in verse 3, Now go and smite. Now we finally got here, to verse 7. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur that is over against Egypt. What word is missing from verse 7? The word destroy is missing. God's command to Saul in verse 3 was smite and utterly destroy. In verse 7, Saul smote, but he didn't utterly destroy. Saul converted God and his command into what he thought it should be. Verse 8, and he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. You know that you can see some humanistic thinking in there, can't you? Also what God said to destroy which was all Saul comes in and he says you know I think I'll be the judge of that I think I'll be the judge of uh, of what is good and I'll be the judge of what is vile and refuse and we read that and if we're not careful we'll be quick to criticize Saul look at him Sparing Agag and the best of the sheep and the best of the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good. Look at him not utterly destroy them. But how many times do we do that very thing with our Amalek? With this old nature. We spare what we consider to be good. Well, Let me ask us something tonight. What is there good in us that should be spared? Is it evil thoughts? Is it adulteries? Is it fornications? Is it murders or thefts or covetousness? Is it wickedness? Is it deceit? Is it lasciviousness? Is it unbridled lust? Is it an evil eye or blasphemy? Is it pride? Is it foolishness? Or maybe it's uncleanness or idolatry or witchcraft, our rebellion. Or maybe it's hatred or variance or emulations or wrath or strife or seditions or envyings and drunkenness or revelings or malice. Or maybe it's filthy communication out of our mouth which one of these is good which one of these should be spared which one you see this is exactly what Saul is doing we say we would never do that oh yes we would and if we'll think of it that way you know i've read these this ninth verse for years and I think about the sheep and the oxen and the lambs and all that is vile and refuse. and makes a difference when we start looking at what our old man is really like. Doesn't it? And when we think of it that way, it takes us back to verse 3. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. Now look at verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. Notice that. God says he has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night, and when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and has gone about and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. Now notice verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the lord do you know what we can write beside verse 13 of this chapter 1st samuel 14 and verse 6 why feignest thou thyself to be another saul was feigning himself to be another in the deception of his heart he was feigning himself Think of the deception here. And then think about our heart that is deceitful above all things. Saul was feigning himself to be an obedient Christian as having performed the commandment of the Lord. That's what he said. Can we be deceived like that? We sure can. And when we spare Amalek, we're doing exactly what Saul did. In the deception of our heart, we're feigning ourselves to be obedient. We'll get rid of the, the vile and refuse things. We'll get rid of those. We're going to keep the best things of the flesh. We're feigning ourselves to be obedient to the Lord when the very opposite is true. Now the reason, the primary reason that we wanted to come back to these verses tonight is to see something that we didn't have time to see last week. And that is that sparing the Amalekites cost Saul his life. Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 1, if you will. 2 Samuel chapter 1. This passage has been preached on. These thoughts have been preached on many times in this church and far better. But it's important for us to to see this. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites. Now, here, here's another reason we know that the Amalekites, at least some of them, escaped. is because they came to Ziklag, and they burned that city, and they took David's um, family captive. And so David had to deal with them. And David had abode two days in Ziklag. And it came even to pass on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent, and earth upon his head. And so it was when he came to David that he fell to the earth and did obeisance. And David said unto him, From whence comest thou? And he said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. And David said unto him, How went the matter? I pray thee, tell me. And he answered that the people are fled from the battle and many of the people also are fallen and dead and Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. David said unto the young man that told him how knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan his son be dead? And the young man that told him said as I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa behold Saul leaned upon his spear and lo the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him and when he looked Behind him, he saw me and called unto me, and I answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? Notice what the answer is. And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. I am an Amalekite. He said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me. For anguish has come upon me because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and had brought them hither unto my Lord. Sparing Amalek called Saul His life. That's the message. It cost him his crown. It cost him his bracelet. Sparing our Amalek. Sparing the flesh. Sparing this old man will cost us the same thing. It may not cost us our physical life. Although it could. Because there is... Is a sin unto death in the life of the believer, but sparing Amalek will take the life of our testimony, and it'll cost us rewards one day at the judgment seat of Christ, First Samuel fifteen and verse three now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. Spare them not. May the Lord help us to do that every day. Every moment of every day. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for these things that you have written aforetime that were written for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. There is victory. There is victory. We can reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. We can Reckon and live in the light of, of what you said is true. That our old man is crucified with you. That the body of sin might be destroyed. And we can live in the light of that every day. We can put Amalek to death. That we might be a blessing to each other that we might be a testimony to the lost. Most of all, that we might be a blessing to you. We pray that that would be our desire. And we ask it in Jesus' name.